welcome to the CCFR Radio Podcast, your source for news, updates, and stories from the CCFR. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 116 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Yiltaka. Thanks for joining me. What you're seeing right now is not the regular podcast. It's an extra kind of inserted intro that I'm putting right now uh, into the show. And the reason for that is, is this is the episode that Tracy Wilson was supposed to be in the studio live with me. And you will see that as soon as I finish this intro. And the reason for that is uh, we came in on last Thursday, we did the podcast, we did the TV show, and we did a CCFR sidebar, a little bit of extra content. I'll upload that later this week. And that that took all day. And then I didn't get into the studio on Friday to edit that. Even if I did, it would have been tough because to edit, when you do a four camera shoot, it's a lot more editing um, than it is just kind of the normal way. Anyway, all that to say, you'll see that uh, the regular podcast in a second, but between Thursday and today, Monday, Monday, uh, May the 9th, a lot has happened. So I need to talk to you about that right now before we see that podcast stuff. So I basically have um, just a couple of things to cover with you. Number one, there was an order in council that was filed by the liberal government and people are running around. They're like, oh, it's another OIC. This is completely done in secret. This is unexpected, whatever. It's inappropriate use of an OIC. That's that's all not true. So what's gone on is uh, an order in council has been filed and is completing measures that received royal assent a few years ago back from Bill C-71. The reason why it looks new is because those those uh, provisions required um, some administrative processes and some infrastructure. Now, we haven't seen the processes or the infrastructure yet, but I would imagine if they have these aspects, and basically, basically it's the long gun registry, or at least almost all of it, minus a, a part here and there, I would imagine they have that stuff ready because, and we'll see it in the next couple of days, because the, uh, the OIC says that these uh, provisions are coming into force on the 18th. So that's a little better than a week from now. So I'll just discuss them uh, with you really briefly so you know what they are. Oh, and by the way, this is the perfectly appropriate use of an OIC. That was the other thing. It's just not true. This is exactly what OICs are for. You have duly passed legislation in the House of Commons, right? And that happened back when the uh, liberals had a, a majority, right? Back in Bill C-71. And then you're using OICs to do administrative work to implement them. So, okay, so that's just, that's what that is. Now, uh, what is this stuff? Number one, really quickly, um, this is the re-implementation of the ledger system for retail purchases of non-restricted firearms. Okay, so basically, if you, and now when I describe these things, I don't know what the procedure is and I don't know what the infrastructure is. So I'm filling in the blanks. So this is not exactly what the procedure is. Nobody knows what that is, but but the government right now. But for sake of explaining what this what effect this might have on your life is, I'm going to be just adding extra things in. So note that. So now, if um, once this is all up and running, when you go or past the 18th, when you go to a, a retailer to buy a non-restricted firearm, you have to take your license in. You'll give them their license, your license. They will check it. Um, they'll inquire to the um, firearms program uh, whether or not uh, they can transfer a non-restricted firearm to you. If you if they can, they'll probably shoot a reference number over to the retailer. The retailer will record that reference number, all of your personal information, your PAL and everything, and all the information on the non-restricted firearm. They will have it all. Full long gun registry, 
right there. Literally no difference. And when people say, well, yeah, but that stays with the retailer, like I'll debate that all day long later, okay? Not for today. So anyway, it is a long gun registry and it's 100% of what it used to be. So anyway, the other side of it is verifying a license as it were um, for private transfers of non-restricted firearms. So what this is, is if I want to transfer a non-restricted firearm to my son or daughter, let's say, then what I'm going to have to do is get everybody's information, call the firearms program or do it online. We don't know even what that looks like, but we're just kind of spitballing here. Call the firearms program, give them all the information. They'll decide whether or not we can transfer that non-restricted firearm. If they decide that they will give their blessing for that transfer, they'll give us a reference number. All that information will be held forever in a government database, just like the long gun registry with a registrar. The registrar runs it, right? So there you go. Um, and then I can transfer that firearm. The only information that's not in that transaction is the information on the firearm. But they're getting the information from the retail level and they know every single step all the way as long as that firearm is in circulation. So they don't really need that information on the private side other than the firearms that are currently in circulation. So you're like this much short from the full gun, long gun registry again. And hey, all it takes is like one shooting or, you know, or changing government or whatever. And that, and the full thing they built, they're rebuilding the entire infrastructure for the long gun registry again. Remember it cost $2 billion last time. They're rebuilding it again, even though it got collapsed, right? Got ended. So that's what's going on. And that's at the 18th on the 18th. So a lot more to come on that. Maybe I'll do a, a sup, when we have more information, I'll do a supplementary podcast or something. The other thing is, um, I did my oral presentation for the Mass Casualty Commission uh, into the events of, uh, in Nova Scotia of uh, April 18th and 19th, 2020. If you remember, it's a, there's a public inquiry. And um, I submitted a, um, a written report, a written opinion, basically, and, the, and answering questions that were came from the commission or that reflected what we bring to the table, which is were there regulations that failed to uh, mitigate or prevent the events uh, back in 2020? Um, and what recommendations would we have for further regulation? It's a very short report. I think it was about uh, five or six pages. And then I did an oral presentation to the commission and the public about what really, you know, what role did regulation really play in all that stuff? So you can find that video here on the YouTube channel. It's gotten some views. Um, and it's on floating around Facebook and on Twitter. Um, I, I got to put it up on rumble just remembered. Um, but anyway, you can check that out if you want. Now the report itself is not on the commission website yet. I just looked because people are like, well, where's the report? And I'm like, well, it must be out there if we're doing oral submissions. Well, how would anybody know what we were talking about if the report was, well, I don't think it is out there. So anyway, I authored it on behalf of the CCFR. So I'm going to put it out. The NFA has their own report that was combined with ours. I'm not going to put their portion out because I didn't author it. That's, that's not my not my place to do that. So anyway, I'm going to put a, um, a link in the description of this video. I might edit a link um, uh, for the Mass Casualty Commission video that I did. And then we'll circulate that around a little bit. So you can check out the report for a little bit more detail on what I was talking about there. And you've got the video itself. Okay, enough of my yapping. Um, I've got uh, Tracy Wilson. Enjoy this uh, this podcast, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to cover that other stuff with you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 116 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Giltak, and thanks for joining me again. Today on the podcast, we have Tracy Wilson. <laughs> Giltak. Wilson. I'm here. Here I am. You are here. How was your flight? It was fine. It was good. Yeah, long, but we slept and watched movies. It was good. 
Awesome. Um, you know what? Before we get into it, we have to uh, talk about our sponsors, Vortex, the force of optics. We'd like to thank our friends over at Vortex Canada for continuing to support the podcast. We really appreciate it. You can check out all their great stuff over at vortexcanada.net. That's vortexcanada.net. And our great friends over at the Saskatchewan Rivers chapter of Safari Club International. They do a lot of great work over there, including supporting the CCFR uh, radio podcast. Uh, so if you want to check out everything else that they do, that's fantastic. You can find them at saskriversci.com. That's saskriversci.com. All right. Okay. We're here. Here we are. So we've got, uh, there's a couple of things going on. Um, we've got the podcast this week. We got lots of content this week. We're doing the podcast right now. Yes. Then we're going to do the TV show. Yes. And then we're going to do a CCFR sidebar. Now, the sidebar is going to be for all the fun talk that we're going to do since you're here. Right. So we're really going to go through like an actual podcast. We're going to try to make that fairly quick. So, um, again, if you only have half an hour or 40 minutes a week to, to you know, listen to, about, listen to stories about the CCFR, listen to this because this is what's going on. And if you just want to have some fun and run something in the background, you can watch the sidebar. All right. That's our all our housekeeping stuff done. Okay. We're all right. that. You got to be right on that mic, though, or people can't hear you. Okay, let's get down to business. You don't want people not to hear you, right? Oh, everyone. You want to be heard, right? <laughs> Do <Okay>. I ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so let's get into podcast stuff. So uh, we have the final six candidates. Yes, that's right. So these are the official verified candidates for the CPC leadership election. We've got Jean Charest, Lesson Lewis, Pierre Polyev, Patrick Brown, Roman Baber, and Scott Aitchison. So that's it. That's that's all. Now, some may drop out, but nobody else can enter the race. It's now closed. All right. And you did a, uh, you attended an all candidates event as well. Yeah, that's right. So the Burlington Conservative EDA, along with a couple other GTA EDAs, held an all candidates event. This is the first one of this leadership race. All the candidates were there. It was a great time. They each got about six or seven minutes to present their case on why people should vote for them. And then they did basically an informal meet and greet where people could line up and shake hands. Um, it was funny. We were sitting right on the end of, I think, about six rows from the front on the end. And it was sort of near the entrance door where the candidates would come in. And I got to tell you, this Polyev mania is a true, it's a true thing. He comes in and the whole place just erupts in applause. And they stood up. He came over and said hello to us, which was great. And, uh, of course, he got a standing ovation after his speech. Whether that translates to results or not is yet to be seen, but there's no denying that that is going on. Um, and and I, I know we've covered this just a ridiculous amount of times, but it's really important. It's really important. Yes. If you're going to vote, you have to get an, a membership by when? By June 3rd. So June 3rd is the deadline to even have your say in a vote for who becomes the next leader. Doesn't matter who you like. If you're not a member, you don't get to vote. The other thing that's really important is all members of your household age 14 and up can get a membership and vote in leadership. So I know in my household, we went from a vote of two adults to a total vote of seven between all the kids. So that's great. And also it, they use a ranked ballot system. So with six candidates, assuming nobody drops out, your ballot will come to you and it will have six slots that you can fill in you're under no obligation to fill them all in. Personally, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to fill in that top number one slot and that's it. Because whether or not you mean to, by putting any other names, you do 
help the other candidates that you may not want to actually win. So I'm just putting one and that's it. That's how you end up with a second place winner being the leader of the party instead of the first place. That's right. And we've seen that in the multiple leadership elections. We have seen that. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Uh, One of the things that, uh, well, I guess an update uh, from my side is we finally have done an update to propertyjustice.ca. And I know I I promised that on April the 25th or 26th when all of these documents became uh, public, when they, when our motion record went, went public, was filed. Uh, but I just had too much stuff. I couldn't get to it. So I had, I had to do it. Um, so it had to wait a little bit. So I apologize if I've, uh, if I've done you wrong, uh, you went there and it wasn't updated, but it's updated now. And we put our motion record on there, or at least a a chunk of it that has our uh, legal argument on there. I I might put the whole motion record up there. They're really big files. Um, but I'm going to have to wait to get around to doing that. But in the interim, you end up with the all the cross examinations of uh, our friend Najmam <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, Blake Brown and Blake Brown yeah. and uh, and some other uh, shifty characters. So, yeah, and it's funny. I actually uh, tweeted out in particular the text of those two cross examinations. And it's funny if anybody follows me on Twitter, you probably also follow the gun muppet TGM. And he does a pile of research. He's a a law enforcement guy, sort of works incognito, but he does a a pile of research and and compiles a lot of data. And of course, he's just, you know, rubbing his hands together, getting into these two cross examinations. And it's funny, he was tweeting out yesterday, you know, that uh, there was some, uh, I guess, I don't want to say lies, but inconsistencies in Najma Ahmed's between her affidavit and her cross examination and of course, she included uh, some studies or reports in her affidavit that don't prove what she says that they prove. So there's lots of good reading in there. I suggest everyone take a few minutes and do it. They they have a lot of pages, but they're an easy read. So yeah, yeah it's it's super entertaining. So yeah, and 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 it's it's uh, it's the very first time that we get to see these people challenged directly. Usually, yes. they're outgoing only messaging. They throw rocks but they'll never really engage with you or have a conversation or whatever. Well, now they couldn't avoid it. They wanted to jump in and be the the government's heroes in in mm-hmm. pushing this gun ban. And now they had to become accountable to uh, to someone and had to be questioned and were expected to answer. And uh, it turns out they're not really a firearm related issue experts at all. No, neither nope. Ralph or Nash. No. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're activists. So it's, right. uh, and, and it's my understanding the reason why that's significant is it's my understanding that um, in in court, when the government brings people to be their experts, see, I'm biased because I'm I'm a, I'm an applicant, right? I'm right. the one making the complaint, and I'm biased because I'm having my things taken. The government is supposed to present experts that that help you know hold up its case, bolster right. its case. But these aren't experts; they're activists. And uh, they were shown to be activists yeah, uh, quite, absolutely. Uh, quite conclusively. Anyway, it was, uh, um, yeah, interesting to say the least. So you can find all that stuff on propertyjustice.ca if you go there right now. Next thing, um, Mass Casualty Commission. I did my oral yes. presentation for the Mass Casualty Commission and um, and it went all right. I mean, no, you know. I think it went more than all right. And I'm going to jump in on this one because, of course, I'm watching from the outside I like to think that we are messaging experts and you had a very critical role uh, that you were sort of given by the commission. And that was to answer some relevant questions, asking if there's any current uh, regulation or maybe future regulation that could have played a role 
in either stopping this, reducing it, or making sure it never happens again. And you were eloquent in your answer. And the truth is that no, this, these people operate outside the law. So they're not, they're not, you know, they're circumventing it by, by operating outside of it. And secondly, that the most important tool this guy had that enabled him to run around the way he did and do the horrible things that he did was his, his police equipment. So I really want to thank you for your presentation yesterday. It was, it was knowledgeable. It was understandable. I think every, everyday Canadians can really understand what you were saying. And you actually did the job of answering the questions that you were tasked with. So it was great. Well, I appreciate that. I always, I'm my own worst critic. I always think I could have done better. Um, you know, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, and there was a, um, a news story in the. The Halifax Examiner, I think it was. I've shared it all around on social media and it quoted, Mm -hmm. um, pretty much most of your testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it was great to, to see that. And it shows how valuable that is that basically they turned your presentation into an actual news story. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, and, and, and they, they printed it word for word. They didn't yeah. put a couple of select quotes and then put, interject their own thoughts no. or have someone else critique what I said, No, which they, they do often. Well, yeah. So um, that was really great. And that's what actual journalism looks like. Like, here's what he said. Yeah. This guy appeared and here's exactly what he said. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was a good story. Awesome. So, and, and that was a culmination of a lot of work because, um, yeah, I'm working together in a coalition with the NFA and we put together a report, a joint report and, uh, and also suggested some, uh, some more witnesses and whatnot. And finally all that work's done. It was a lot of work, <laughs> uh, you know, piled on top of everything else. And so I always feel like I'm not paying full attention, um, on everything when I have to juggle so many things. So, but I think it turned out fairly well. And if that report's not out now, I think it should be out soon. Excellent. So, yeah, and they'll be. Uh, we'll we'll let you know and and spread that report around so you can read it. I kind of had the uh, impression that it was already out, and that's how I was talking about it, as if people had access to it. And people started asking me, "Well, where do I get it?" And I'm like, "I I don't know." Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think I it it'll was... be part of that. You can go to MassCasualtyCommission.ca um, or .com. I'm not sure, but um, just Google Mass Casualty Commission, and there's a ton of supporting documents and everything in there. So yeah. when I find it, I will also share it around. Um, another thing we did a video Well, I, I, I had, I was pregnant with this idea really, you know, as an idea gets in your head and you're like, I just, I got to get this idea out. I got to, I got to make it happen. And I, I carry these things around on my head for days until I have time to do them. And I wanted to do a video that was, um, that contrasted, uh, Stephen Paluca, uh, otherwise known as, Del, otherwise known as. Right. Stephen Del Duca. Right. Um, but anyway, Palooka made uh, his his announcement that he was going to roll out a gun ban as soon as as soon as possible if he was if he was elected as premier yep. of uh, of Ontario. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to do exactly the opposite of what all of the top police officers, chiefs of police, are asking for. That's right. So what they're asking for, you're not going to do that, and you're going to do what they're not asking for. It specifically said that they don't need. So anyway, I wanted to do a video contrasting those two things and. We had started a, um, a TikTok account and we have somebody uh, taking ideas that we have for videos or old videos or things that are happening now and rolling them into TikTok style videos, right? So Which those, are a little less they're cheekier, serious. Right? They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're memes. Yeah. They're moving memes in, right. in internet culture, you know, zooming into people's face, 
you know, going black and white, you know, almost like funny music, like, like sticking the glasses on them and stuff like that. Right. So I was like, oh, I want to make one of those for fun. And I thought, I thought it was a decent video. I mean, I'm so old. did I. Yeah. I'm not of the TikTok generation, but it was funny because somebody, um, somebody made a comment and uh, they were like, you know, this is a, a good video, but it, you know, without all the goofy music and the, and the silliness, it's like, well, they'll, I put a lot of effort into that silliness, right? Like <laughs> we enjoy the goofy. <laughs> that was on, that was on purpose. Like I know it's not the usual stuff that we do, but it was really for for our TikTok account. And I thought, ah, we'll throw it out there because a, a lot of the stuff is is it's negative, right? And it's and it's heavy. It's heavy. So every and once negative. in a while, having a little bit of fun, uh, looking at uh, at Palooka, trying to be taken as a serious person. Yeah, you know that's funny in itself. I I find. I, it is. I particularly liked the music personally. Yeah. It, although I would, I will admit that music gets really annoying really fast. Cause when you're editing, you you're watching that video 60 times. Right. Yeah. And it got, I'm like, hmm. that's an earworm you don't want. No. Uh, all right. What's next? Okay. Questions. I, we decided we were going to do a couple of questions didn't we? Yeah. So we've got a couple of questions here. Um, and these hmm. were questions that were sent in to us, of course. So let me just put on my glasses because otherwise I can't see. Uh, he, here's one from Riley. He says, if the OIC is overturned, I guess whether we win in court or, you know, with a new government, will that bring back the other stuff that was prohibited through changes through the FRT? So as you know, there was the named uh, models and variants within the OIC itself. And then, of course, they've been adding things through FRT changes, reclassifications, um, and he wants to know specifically, will those additions also be included in an overturning of that OIC? Yeah, short answer is yes. That will get, uh, those will get removed from the prohibited list because um, they were, the, the court has come up. I, I don't know if it was the court or our team or our team and then the government's team. But anyway, we've come up with a, with a term to call these firearms that were um, prohibited after the original prohibition. They call them the unnamed variants. Because okay. they were unnamed in the OIC, and they're they're now prohibited because they're deemed to be variants. Right. So they're called unnamed variants. And one of the things I forget to talk about on uh, about the court case quite often is that a big aspect of this is um, the 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 judge is especially annoyed with the way that the RCMP classifies firearms, the way that our system works. So if anything, there's going to be a change. I don't know if it'll be changed for the better or a change for the worse, but there's going to be a change in the way that firearms are classified, I think, as a result of this case. Um, and like I said, I can't, I can't tell. But anyway, all that to say, if the all of these unnamed variants were deemed variants of now prohibited firearms, if those firearms are now not prohibited, the unnamed variants are no longer prohibited as well. So okay, yeah, they're coming perfect. back. Perfect. Do you have time for another one? Yep. Okay. Derek wants to know why are gun owners so against registration? So that's a that's that's a very old question, but it's <laughs> but it's a reasonable question. I think that's a question that gun owners should know how to answer because uh, it's it's something that they hear all the time from people. You register your car, how come you can't register your guns? And anti-gun people always say, well, you know, gun we just want gun owners to be responsible for their firearms. That's why you want to register them. You know, why do you want the government not to know what you have? And the reason is, or, or I guess a, a one rationale is, is that in in theory, firearm registration seems very reasonable, right? I mean, if I'm not going to sell my guns to somebody else illegally, then who cares if the government knows what I have? And here's the here's the other side of it. 
that works if you if you exist in a system where you can trust the government. The government right. says, listen, conspiracy theorist, we don't want your guns. We just want to know what you have. We want you to be responsible for your firearms. And <laughs> and the problem with that is, yes, they do want to take my guns. And yes. yes, they will take those guns because they've done it hundreds of times. If you think of it in terms of um, in individual firearms, hundreds of individual firearms had been registered when uh, Bill C-68 and, and C-17 came through. They started registering a bunch of firearms that were previously non-restricted. And then when they thought, well, we've got most of them registered, at least most out of the group that would register their guns, and then they changed the classification. And they've done that how many times? They did it in right. 2014, even in recent memory. That was what got me into politics, into firearm pol politics, because they just changed the classification on guns that were registered. I had long, I had a long gun that was registered, a CZ-858, and the government's like, yeah, register it and it's no problem. Okay, well, now that it's registered, uh, I'm sorry, it's going prohib and I know you have it. Now we're going to give you, it never got to that point, but now we're going to give you a um, an order to produce the firearm. And it's like, well, if you can't be trusted to tell me that guns with an 18 and a half inch barrel are fine and guns that, you know, have overall length is fine and they're not full autos and that I can have those guns, if you, if you, if you could be trusted, maybe. And there's another discussion around that too, but... But maybe, but the government shows it can't be trusted. That's they'll right. get you to register your guns. Once they know you have it, they'll change a classification when a new government comes in and then they'll demand your gun. And that's why if you can't be trusted, you don't get the information. That's why gun owners, it's not that gun owners don't want to be accountable for their guns. They keep getting screwed over by the government when they trust the government and they comply with these regulations. And that's why I've said it's like firearm registration. Because remember, I'll, I'll end with this long answers, right? Long story long. People say, you know, people hear like registration leads to confiscation. It's like, that's what an angry old gun owner that lost some guns once upon a time would say. It's like, no, no, they say that because it's absolutely true. Every time. Yeah. It's yeah. the first step to confiscation. It's like, we need to know what you have. And if you remember the now newly prohibited firearms, what did David Lametti, I played that on the podcast, I don't know, whatever, 15 podcasts ago. What did David Lametti say? It's like, well, you're going to have to, now that these things are, are prohibited, first, you're going to have to register them. Mm -hmm. then you'll maybe get your money back in a buyback or then we'll let you disable it, you know, like uh, deactivate the firearm. But first you have to register them. And he said, and pay a fee. Right. So it's just like, yeah, this is why we don't trust the government because, you know, when the wind changes politically, when they need a channel changer, they're like, okay, where's the gun owners? Let's just start hammering on them. So anyway, that's, that's, that's a good answer. And I agree with you. It was you. a long answer. I apologize, but. Do you have time for one more? Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't sound so <laughs> excited. Okay. Um, Colin asked, he's looking for clarification on a recent video. You talked about 90% of the guns coming from the U.S. being smuggled in. Are you inferring that the other 10% come from legal gun owners? No. The other 10% typically are guns that can't be traced. And so typically politicians will imply that they came from licensed gun owners. Now, there, there are some guns, crime guns that are domestically sourced. And the, the, the problem is, okay, so it's a kind of a complex thing. So one of the problems is how you define a crime gun. Sometimes these departments, when they say, oh, a certain amount are domestically sourced, certain amount of crime guns. Well, and they're like, okay, well, firearms turned over. Like if somebody dies and those firearms yeah. are surrendered, they'll call them crime guns. And we've seen that before. Yes. And it's like, well, no, they're not. These are guns that were not used in a crime or if they're found. They're crime guns. It's like, no, those aren't crime guns either. 
So there's a lot. It's, so that's when you see a lot of different numbers floating around, like 30%, 50% or whatever, is you have to figure out how they're, um, how they're defining crime gun, number one, and where that pool is. Because I remember that when um, there was a, a rumor, I'm going to call it a rumor because I have not verified this. I tried to get to the bottom of it myself, but I was never able to get the information. But when Ralph Goodale was circulating around, he was saying more than 50% of crime guns were, domest were uh, domestically sourced. Apparently that had to do with one jurisdiction in one place in Ontario. And they had, um, they had included any gun that was, um, that was obtained by police through a criminal act. And apparently there was an arson and there was a gun collector and there was an arson. It was like something ridiculous, like, you know, 500 guns. Well, because these guns were recovered oh. from the scene of an arson, they were classified as crime guns and it, it padded the stats, as they like to oh, say. Oh, yes. So it's, it's you know, at the end of the day, if you look at big jurisdictions that have firearm-related violence problems like Toronto, the overwhelming majority of these illegal firearms that people are shooting each other with, not like that are found or lost or whatever, are come from, come from the United States. Then there's, and typically, I always say 70, 30, 80, 20, somewhere around there, typically, because we don't really know, right? Mm -hmm. But we're assuming, and we don't want to, we're not standing here and saying <clears throat> no crime guns come from Canada because that's not true. We don't know how many, but it's a very low number. So the next um, the next leading uh, source is stolen guns. Well, that's got nothing to do with licensed gun owners. They're victims of crime. So to say that, well, you, you can't own a gun because somebody broke into your house, broke into your safe and stole it. I mean, how, how ridiculous yeah. is that, right? I mean, we could equate that to a lot of different we're crimes. Going, yeah, we're going down the her skirt was too short. Well, this is the lane. thing, right? It's ridiculous, yeah. right? And but but again, if you're grasping for arguments to beat up licensed gun owners, you won't. There's no, there's no, no. You won't stoop to any lower. You know, there's, yeah. there's nothing too there's low no to stoop to. Yeah, yeah. Is, is what I'm trying to say. And then of course you have straw purchasing, and we looked into straw purchasing extensively, and and like literally, we could only find fifty instances of straw purchasing in Canadian history that we could actually find. And so 50 divided by 2.2 million or probably 4 million during that whole period of people who right. had a license, it expired or whatever. It's like, it was like seven, seven, one thousandths of 1%. And then it's probably happening a hundred times more often than people are caught. So now we're at like, you know, I don't know, one seventieth of 1% or something like this. I mean, if you want to really get to that low, but Almost nobody does that. <clears throat> okay. So that's, well, that's, the, that's good. So that's the, the detailed, long, excruciating answer. Okay, perfect. I hope mm -hmm. Colin got his answer there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and again, the biggest part is we don't really know because we can't trace all firearms. Well, and that's the one thing I think everyone mm -hmm. on any side of this debate agrees on is we do need better data. You can't solve a problem if you don't, if you don't understand the problem to begin with. And- the anti-gun side, you know, the 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 anti-violence side, which is us, you know, we all agree on that, that the data is incomplete and we do need national data that we can count on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, one last thing, which is 30 days till National Range Day. Yes, that's right. I'm really excited. I've got some big news. Uh, we've talked on the show before about my personal National Range Day going on at Eastern Ontario Shooting Club just outside of Ottawa. You can find the event on our social media. Um, I'm going to have a special VIP guest who's in town that weekend, and that's Mr. Jim Shockey, that's Canadian awesome. hunting legend. So it won't be the first time Jim and I have gone to the range 
um, in Ottawa. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. And of course, lots of activities for the families. Um, if you're looking for information on National Range Day, you can find it at nationalrangeday.ca. There's lots of events registered. It is absolutely not too late to register yours. And 30 days, you can throw an event together. You really can. So if you're a club, a range, belong to another firearms organization, a wildlife federation, anything like that, it is absolutely not too late. Get a group of volunteers together, put your heads together around a table, hammer out an event, and let's let's make it happen. Yep, for sure. And, and if you can't do any of that stuff, take somebody shooting. Yeah. Just make a yeah. commitment and then get on social media. Again, people have heard this so many times, but get on social media, you know, post a couple of pictures that are meaningful to you um, that are firearm related and, and just post a little story, you know, like half a paragraph, like guns are so important to me because of this, you know, right. that kind of thing. Right. All right. We're going to wind it up. We 26 minutes, which is, isn't bad. Not bad. Not um, bad. but we'll, uh, we'll wind it up for now. And if you want to hear just Tracy and I shooting the breeze, talking a little bit about, uh, CCFR history and some of our favorite stories from, <laughs> from the CCFR, check out the CCFR sidebar. It may, it may not be out till next week or whatever, because I have to edit it all, but uh, check that out um, if you want a little bit of uh, something else to listen to. Other than that. It was an absolute pleasure being here in the studio with you. Sounds great. Uh, thanks for watching, and we will see you guys in uh, two weeks for the next one. See you then. This is another episode of the CCFR Radio Podcast. Remember, if you don't stand up for your own ability to own and use firearms, who will? Join the CCFR or donate right now at www.firearmrights.ca.